Section 8 of Strangers at Lisconnel by Jane Barlow This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8 Chapter 11 Mad Bell Not so very long before the sound of Con the Queer One's fiddle ceased to enliven Lisconnel any more, Mad Bell's singing had begun to be heard there occasionally, as it has been at intervals ever since she arrived with her two housemates, Big Anne and the Dummy, and took up her abode in the last of the cabins that you pass on the left hand, going towards Salenbeg. Perhaps Lisconnel should not reckon her among its residents, so much of her time is spent on the tramp as an absentee. Still she sometimes has tarried with us for a long while, and she is understood to have some property in the house furniture, so it seems natural to consider the place her home. From the first it appeared obvious to all that the dementedness which characterized the little wizened yellow-faced woman was of a much more pronounced type than con the queer ones. Any attempt to spare people's feelings by ignoring the fact would have been very futile, and it was therefore lucky that the three newcomers, Mad Bell herself included, were quite content to accept the situation. The neighbors were at first inclined to commiserate Big Anne, who was pronounced to be a decent, sensible poor woman, for the oddities of her household. The incalculable flightiness of Mad Bell and the impenetrable silence of the dummy but to their condoling remarks she was wont to reply in effect ah sure ma'am that's the way i'm used to them the creatures why if mad bell said anything over sensible or poor winnie said anything at all it's wonderin i'd be what was goin to happen us next and big anne evidently looked upon this as an uncomfortable frame of mind at first too they speculated much about the circumstances which had brought the curious trio together beneath one thatch and found it especially hard to conjecture how the daft little vagrant had come into possession of sundry tables and chairs all its members however being incommunicative persons no satisfactory elucidation of these points was arrived at in lisconnel the coalescence of Big Anne's and the dummy's fortunes is a simple history enough. Anne Fainan, while yet a youngish woman, was left alone in the world to do for herself in her little wayside cabin. Without a dowry to recommend her rough-hewn features and large-boned ungainliness, she never had any suitors, and she found it as much as she could contrive to make out her single living by means of her bit of poultry and her pig. Nevertheless, when her nearest neighbors, the Golligers, died, leaving their daughter Winnie, who had never got her speech the creature, to live on charity or the rates, what else was a body to do except take her in? Anne would have put this question to you with a sincere want of resource. So Winnie Golliger transferred to Anne Fainan's house, herself and all her worldly goods, which consisted of the clothes she had on, and a prayer-book, and a lame duck, and thenceforward the two got along the best way they could. 
Mad Bell's history has more complications in it. They began one pleasant April day when she was only a slip of a lass who had taken a little place at the Hunt's farm near her home for the purpose of saving up a few pounds against her marriage with Richard McBurney. She had been given an unexpected holiday and was running home across the fresh spring-green grass fields, thinking to take her people by surprise when she came to a hedge gap whence you look down into a steep-banked lane and at the foot of the bank richard mcburney was sitting with his arm around her sister lizzie's waist to a dispassionate observer this transference of his attentions might have seemed a matter of small moment most of their acquaintances for example were just as well satisfied that he should court eliza as isabella but the sight turned all the current of her life awry for it set her off rushing away from it across the same sunny green fields and she never came home again nor ever again would she settle down quietly anywhere she had a strong clear voice and a taste for music and this led her to take to singing ballads about the country at markets and fairs the harder she was thinking about fickle richard mcburney the louder and shriller she sang a very few years of such wandering shriveled up her plump pig beauty so that in her little sallow weather-beaten face her own mother would scarcely have recognized pretty isabella reed then after a long spell of illness in a union infirmary she began to grow noticeably odder and stranger in her looks and ways until at length the children shouted mad bell as she passed and that became her recognized style and title such briefly had been her experience of life when one september evening she came by chance to big anne and the dummy's door she had got a very bad cold and felt hardly able to drag herself along between the buried hedges and was so hoarse that she could with difficulty ask for the night's lodging which they granted without demur their times had been unusually bad of late in fact their room was looking several sizes larger than they were accustomed to see it because they had sold any articles of furniture for which ere a price at all could be obtained but to whatever accommodation this bareness permitted they made mad bell kindly welcome the creature being sick and crazy and she stayed with them for three or four days by that time finding herself recovered she resumed her journey setting off early in the morning with the abruptness and absence of circumlocution which as a rule distinguished her proceedings a friendly nod and grimace she made serve for announcement of departure and leave-taking all in one as her hostesses watched her out of sight down the road began said well now i never seen that queer little body in this country before and we're very apt to not set eyes on her again god be good to us all but the likes of her is to be pitied she's worse off than the two of us but bedad winnie if them hens there don't presently take to layin a trifle it's in a tight hole we'll be ourselves i don't know what's bewitchin them and the sorra an old stick have we left in it that man 
or mortal would give us the price of a pullet's egg for and small blame to him unless he was as demented as herself that's quittin mad bell's tramp that day was all along a sequence of lonesome winding lanes where few dwellings were dotted among the green and gold of the fields the bustle of the harvest its reaping and binding was over in them and they lay without stir or sound in some of them the strooks were still encamped but some were smooth stubble empty except where a flock of turkeys filled it with dark bunchy shapes she walked steadily on the whole day without any adventure but when the dew was beginning to fall through the twilight she came to a short shady reach of lane at the end of which stood in a green nook a small prim white cottage with two peaked windows and a door to match that at least is how it would under ordinary circumstances have presented itself to a passer-by just then however nobody would have noticed anything about it except the fact that out of the open door thick coils of woolly black smoke were rolling and rolling stabbed through every now and again by thrusts of flame which even in the lingering daylight gleamed strongly fierce and red the house was evidently on fire as mad bell drew nearer she became aware of a wheaten coloured terrier standing in the front of it and when he saw her he began to bark vehemently she was used to being barked at though not in this way for howls were interspersed and it was clearly meant not for a menace but an appeal no other live creature was visible about the place until she had come quite close to the surging door when a small gossoon jumped out of the ditch on the opposite side of the road and rushed across to her what'll i do at all then he said whimperingly catching hold of her shawl if them childers burnt up within there mr wogan will be in a fine way it's for killin the whole of us he'll be and it wasn't me set it afire sort of the match was i meddlin wit i could swear it i wasn't out of it any time gettin a few ripe berries to pacify them childer again they would be wakin and roarin and when i come back there it is all a smother of smoke devil a thing else was i doin only mindin them children and not meddlin with the matches and goin after a couple of blackberries and mr wogan himself's away at ballymacartrican wid his boxes in the ass-cart and all of them goin to quit out of it to-morrow if it wasn't for them children being burnt up inside or maybe it's smothered they are it's as unhandy as anything it went a fire of itself and he'll be ragin he bawled all this louder and louder in competition with the clamour of the dog who kept on jumping up at each alternately and evidently considered his remarks better entitled to a hearing but mad bell merely replied wished gabbin and hold that thrusting as she spoke her little handkerchief bundle into his arms and thereupon making a sudden dive she vanished among the flame-sheathing smoke scarcely had she disappeared when an empty donkey-cart came round the turn of the lane led by a rather dejected-looking middle-aged man whose countenance nevertheless had for some time back been gradually clearing up 
at every wind of the way that brought him nearer to this particular point of view but as he caught sight of the black smoke drifting and rolling his aspect of reasonable melancholy changed to one of a despair that could not have been wilder if the reek of hell-mouth had blown into his face he dropped the bridle and hurled himself down the road like the distracted body that he might well be for a twelvemonth ago he had lost his wife and both his elder children in one week and his pair of two-year-old twins were now all that stood between himself and world-wide desolation at the front door his frantic rush was met and baffled by a choking puff which sent him fleeing round in hopes that entrance might be more possible through the back and on the way he came face to face with the wrathful visages of his son and daughter whom mad bell was carrying in the disregardful manner that betides a cumbrous load snatched up in a mortal hurry she had escaped by the back door if the most radiant of guardian angels in snowy plumes and golden tresses had restored his children to him with a befitting speech poor matthew wogan could not well have been more joyfully relieved from his terror than he was when this odd little yellow-faced woman with a red handkerchief wisped around her head and a singed grimness generally pervading her handed over to him minnie and tom casually remarking bedad it's the big heavy lumps they are minnie and tom both were crying and coughing loudly because the smoke had got into their eyes and throats which they resented and when their father returned with them to the front of the house this noise was swelled by the gleeful yap-yapping of the terrier and the voices of a few other people who had appeared upon the scene a matronly-looking woman and two or three sunburnt harvest men from mrs massey's observations it could be gathered that she had been minding the wogan twins by deputy and further that she entertained the gloomiest views about the mental and moral qualities of her son little larry who replied to her animadversions with overreaching protestations about matches and theories of spontaneous combustion while they wrangled in the background the young men inspected the conflagration which proved to be less extensive than it looked though undoubtedly serious enough to have soon put the sleeping children past waking if rescue had not come a heap of blankets and other bedding that smouldered and blazed near the front door was the source of the most stifling smoke and when it had been subdued by many buckets of water everybody began to drag what bits of furniture they could out of harm's way there was not much because as wogan explained he had sent the marrow of it to his sister at ballymacatrican and the legs of the largest table were charred so badly that it collapsed with a crash the instant minute it set its four feet on the ground as mrs massey said however there were two smaller ones not much the worse and three or four chairs and a couple of stools and some pots and pans and a small clothes horse and a wagging clock whose round white face glimmered through the dusk like a fallen moon as it lay flat on the grass all these things made a little crowd on the plot of sward by the door 
"'And what will you be doing with them now?' said Mrs. Massey. "'There's my place below. You'd be welcome to stand them in as long as you please. "'Deed would you, sir. The dear knows I'm not troubled with too many sticks of furniture. "'That's a very handy-sized washing-tub Larry's after carrying out for you. "'I was noticing to-day ours has a leak in it this long while back that drips over everything. "'I must get himself to try mend it.' "'That's a lovely table,' suddenly said Mad Bell, who had hitherto made no remarks. "'A real grand one it is,' she repeated, in a wistful sort of way, smoothing the leaf fondly with her hand. "'And very welcome you'd be to have it in a present, ma'am, if you've ever a fancy for it. Aye, or for the matter of that to the whole lot of them altogether,' said Matthew Wogan, who, with his arms full of the smoky twins, felt a weight of gratitude which he would gladly have expressed in deeds. Little valley there is on them. It's a small thing after what you're after doing for us. I wouldn't like to be paying away me bit of money from the children or else. But if I auctioned them things off the way I was intending, it's only a trifle of a few shillings they'd be bringing me. Welcome you are to them, ma'am. "'Sure what use at all such things be to the likes of her,' put in Mrs. Massey. "'It's only annoyed you to be, woman, with tables and chairs, and she trampled about. "'You may depend would dare a place to be bringing them to, if she had them twist over, let alone any way of moving them. "'It's very convenient we are, just round the turn of the road.' "'She might take the little cart and the old ass along,' said Matthew Wogan, looking at his equipage which was straying towards them intermittently as the beast grazed the green border of the lane they're no use to me now then there'd be nothing delaying her that she couldn't be cleaning out of it with them right away you needn't trouble yourself to be lifting the little stool mrs massey what wid fire and water that'll be no place to sleep in he said pointing to the still smoking door the mahonies would take us in for to-night and Tomorrow early we're off to me sister's and next day to Queenstown. Twill be a grand thing for the children to be settled near the Uncle Tom that's doing right well in New Jersey, in case anything happened to me. So I'd as lief be shut of all that collection, supposing they'd be any benefit to this creature. Saints bless us, but you're given away all before you, Mr. Wogan, said Mrs. Massey, with a discomfited laugh. "'Have you e'er a house you could be putting them in?' one of the harvest men asked of Mad Bell. "'I be dad,' she said, and with that she picked up a chair and dumped it down into the cart which had come to a halt at the door. This promptitude on her part seemed to settle the question. Without more ado, the rest of the salvage was loaded in, all except the handy-sized washing-tub, which by means of an adroitly taken-up position Mrs. Massey contrived to have overlooked and left behind when Mad Bell drove away with her newly acquired property. On through the gloaming she drove till the white dust flakes gathered up by the wheels grew damp and fragrant with dew, and till the moonlight was glimmering among the golden sheaves silverly, and till live embers were found out of the ashes low in the east. The small hours had a frosty chill, and old Ned's 
short steps were leisurely and his halts for refreshment frequent still mad bell continued to sit with serene patience she was retracing her route the day before but at so much slower a rate of progress that the sun had been up for more than an hour when she stopped in front of big anne and the dummy's little house they were disturbed at their breakfast by the sound of the arrival and when they came to the door saw their visitor in the act of depositing a second chair upon the ground beside the cart whether now and is it yourself back again said big anne and what at all have you got there inside they're going said mad bell pointing to the cartload with an elated air it's a deal handier to have some chairs and tables this was a fact which big anne might well have admitted considering that she had just been squatting on her heels to eat a plate of stirabout however she only continued her perplexed catechism where at all was you after bringing them things from and who might be owning them out of a house burning down said mad bell och between us and harm what house is it then and how did it get burning sure it's easy enough settin a house on fire said mad bell with a grin which to big anne who at this time was not familiar with her manners looked rather sinisterly significant flaring up real strong she said pushing towards her as if in confirmation of the statement the little wooden clothes horse whose rails were blackened and charred easy it may be big anne said looking aghast at it but dreadful devilment it is to do such a thing with the misfortunate people very apt to lose their lives let alone everything else there was nobody in it only a couple of fat little children said mad bell the saints be among us woman said big anne what sort of talk have you it's not strailin about the country you are wid them old sticks of furniture and leavin the little children in the house blazin up the lord pitied the creatures that had become of them if they were left that away burnt to cinders be now very belike suffocated said mad bell with a complacent nod big anne and the dummy stared at one another in great horror the dummy could express her feelings only by crossing herself and gasping but big anne spoke volubly may god forgive me for opening me lips to the likes of you och but you're the unnatural wicked woman to do such a thing if you were twist as cracked and crazy itself get along out of this yourself and your old cart afore the police comes after you och the misfortunate little creatures and don't be offering to darken our doors again with the hideous sight of you give me a hand with liftin in them two tables said mad bell whereupon big anne whisked away from her and banged the door in her face mad bell however did not appear to be discouraged by this reception she finished unloading the cart of all except the tables which she found unwieldy single-handed then she unharnessed old neddy and went and seated herself on the low wall beside the house she was seemingly quite content with the situation but to the two women indoors it was a dreadful experience their minds were firmly persuaded that the daft little woman had designedly set fire to some dwelling and made off with what household gear she could lay hands on leaving the hapless children to perish amid the flames 
it shocked and enraged them that their premises should be infested by the presence of such a criminal and that her ill-gotten goods and chattels should be brought to their very threshold not to speak of her outrageous proposal to harbour them under their roof began declared that with the legs of them chairs and tables glimpsing through the doors as if they were only turned out to be airin a bit she and the dummy seemed as good as a pair of murderers every now and then they went to the door and peered out and the incendiary always greeted them with cheerful nods on these occasions big anne sometimes said oh very well me good woman just you sit there brazen and there till the patrol comes round this way and then if i don't give you in charge as soon as the sun's shining crooked over our heads be gone out of that and take them things out of littering about our place or she would remark loudly to her companion just stop a minute winnie till i sling me old shawl over me head and run down to the barracks it's not very long they'll be puttin her out of it and bundlin her into jail instead of to be sittin here wid ne'er a spark of shame in her annoyant decent people but neither mode of address produced any effect the morning sunbeams still slanted down on the small pile of furniture and old neddy went on munching the blades off which they were drying the dew and mad bell continued to sit upon the wall as if placidly waiting for events such was the posture of affairs until towards noon when an outside car came trotting quickly down the lane on one side of it sat a black-whiskered man in his best clothes with each hand tightly grasping a small fat wrigglesome child and the three were matthew tom and winnie wogan on catching sight of mad bell he made the driver pull up well ma'am he called to her so you're after getting home bedad it's the fine long step you've took the old donkey one while he'd be doin it and you're about gettin' in the few things very welcome she is to the whole of them he continued to big anne who had now emerged and begorra nobody else had a better right to any trifle might be saved out of it sheila told you ma'am the way the place was set on fire on me last night some little devil of a spalpeen playin wid matches it seems but anyhow there it was in blazes and me gallopin home like a demented cow conceitin these two imps of the mischief here would be smotherin inside it and truth if herself over there hadn't them fetched out safe into the yard when it was as much as your life was worth to put your head in at the door for the stifler of the smoke i don't know how she contrived it maybe the creature isn't altogether very sensible he said in a confidential tone but if she had all the wit ever was thought of she couldn't a done better be the childer so it's kindly welcome she is to the bits of furniture and the old beast and drive it on we must be good modern to use all mad bell listened to this praise with the same equanimity as to began's threats and reproaches but when the car had trotted on she came up to her saying just as before give me a hand with liftin in them tables and matthew wogan jogging down the long lane 
may have caught the last glimpse of one of them as it vanished in at the doorway thus it was that mad bell came to be domiciled with big anne and the dummy in the pauses between her wanderings the arrangement seemed equitable in view of her substantial contribution to the plenishing of the house the donkey-cart likewise was found very serviceable enabling them to turn a penny occasionally by fetching and carrying and the coalition worked well upon the whole but after a few years of such prosperity that they were seldom without a bit of food in the house and sometimes had bacon on sunday things took a turn for the worse old ned died under the burden of his many years and a sort of moraine among the fowl cut off several promising pullets in the heyday of their youth then arose difficulty about rent while their landlord who was new to the property had a natural zeal for sweeping it clear of encumbering tenants and the end of it was that the three women transferred themselves to lisconnel where they became not the least respected of its inhabitants but these particulars about their antecedents were never learned by the neighbours there and the joint ownership of the furniture still presents itself as one of our unsolved problems another of them was propounded somewhat later when mad bell returned from an unusually long ramble during which she had crossed the leafy by the spacious o'connell bridge and had heard the boom of the big college bell and with her wizened lemon face had half scared the smallest sized children in villages round about dublin for she was wearing an elaborately fantastic piece of headgear which moved everybody's curiosity so strongly that it cannot have been for want of wondering if we failed to find out how she had come thereby strangely incongruous it did undoubtedly look yet the stages by which it had descended from its stand in the milliner's showroom and alighted upon the head of the little wandering witted tramp were much fewer than might have been supposed probable one blustery march morning when mrs mcbean was on her way along by the low sea-wall to buy a bit of bacon at donnelly's shop in kilclone the east wind did her the shrewd turn of whisking off her hat and dropping it into the water it was a most shabby old black straw rusty and battered and torn yet mrs mcbean a labourer's wife who had nothing at all handsome about her seemed to think it worth a serious risk for she mounted on the broad wall-top and thence made so unwary a snatch that she overbalanced herself and splashed headlong into the heaving high tide where she could very well have perished beneath the cold olive-grey swell had not the brothers denny fishing for bass hard by noticed the perilous accident and pulled timely to the rescue when they disembarked her gasping and dripping at the nearest landing-place she was understood to say sure me heart's broke a remark which police sergeant young who formed one of the group gathered by the disaster considered sufficient grounds for marching her off to the handiest j p on a charge of attempted suicide mrs mcbean vehemently repelled the accusation 
she explained that she had said her heart was broke only because she had lost her old hat and every thread of a rag on her had been drenched and ruinated with the salt water how could she go for to do such a sin as destroy herself she urged and she were a houseful of little children waiting for at home the creatures her arguments proved convincing and the charge was summarily dismissed not without strictures upon sergeant young's excessive zeal by which he reckoning nothing of talleyrand's maxim felt himself puzzled and aggrieved the incident however brought some more agreeable consequences to mrs mcbean as the j p s ladies commiserating her half-drowned plight sent her that same evening a goodly bundle of cast-off clothes over which her eyes grew gleefully bright in her careworn face at one of the articles included they widened with almost awe this was an enormous hat made of white fluffy felt with vast contorted brims and great blue velvet rosettes and streamers its fabric was very stout and substantial and withal quite new for its original owner had speedily found it so stiff and heavy that to wear it gave her a headache and a crick in her neck mrs mcbean for her part could not entertain the idea of carrying anything so sumptuous upon her grizzled head and when she tried it on her eldest daughter it totally extinguished and nearly smothered the child so she stowed it away in a corner where it remained unseen for several weeks but next month on the afternoon of easter day mrs mcbean had two visitors over from ballyhoy annie cassidy elderly and rather grim with her young friend nelly walsh nelly's bound to be havin bad luck this year for her life annie observed in the course of conversation for not a new stitch has she put on her to-day at it easter that's an unlucky thing accordin' to the sayin ne'er a bit am i afraid o me luck averred nelly cheerful and threadbare not to say ragged but mrs mcbean was pricked by a sudden thought up the ladder to the little attic loft whence she cracked down again bringing with her the great white hat there nelly she said just clap that on your head and then nobody can pass the remark that you didn't get the wear of something new anyway nelly took the hat which struck her nearly dumb with admiration but as she tried to catch a glimpse of it in the shred of looking-glass on the wall her delighted expression waxed so eloquent that mrs mcbean was impelled to say you're to keep it girl alive if you're e'er a fancy for it sure it's fitter for you than likes of me that it look a queer old scarecrow if i offered to go about in such a thing she had not at first intended this generosity her worldly goods being so few that she could not lightly part with even a very unpromising possession nelly on her side could hardly believe in her high fortune when after some polite demur she found herself carrying off the splendid hat to wear it on an ordinary walk would have seemed profane so she held it under her old shawl all the way home to her cabin on the shore at the foot of the black banks a good step 
beyond Ballyhoy. But when she reached the door, she could not forbear the pleasure of making her entrance in the glory of her new adornment. Her reception was altogether disappointing, for her mother's and grandmother's voices rose up shrill and shriller, demanding what at all hideous gazebo she'd got on her. Billy, her eldest brother, said Musha, she's put on a pair of blinkers on her like an old horse, and Larry, his junior, remarked with terse candor, Och, the fright! More mortifying still, Joe Tierney, her sweetheart, who had called to conclude arrangements about the morrow's holiday, said in a disgusted tone, Tear and ages, I hope to goodness, Nelly, you're not intending to make that shoulder yourself at the circus tomorrow. Bedad, I never seen such a contrivance. You might as well be walking alongside some sort of demented mushroom. This rather aptly described the effect of the huge white brim upon Nelly, who was small and short of stature, but it hurt her feelings badly. The only upholder of the hat was Annie Cassidy, who is fond of controverting the opinions of other people and who despises men. She said, Don't be letting them put you out of conceit with it, Nelly. It suits you lovely. Sure, if anyone doesn't think your appearance is good enough for them, you needn't trouble them with your company. Circuses, to my mind, is trash to be watching folks figure a dying on a pack of old horses' backs. There's a lot of us going over tomorrow to Rathbeg, where there are merry-go-rounds you can ride in yourself and all manner. If you just step down to the junction station and come along with us on the early train. Deed that I might, said Nelly. Not that she had the least intention of doing any such thing, but because, being somewhat of a bell, she was unaccustomed to uncomplimentary criticisms, and much affronted by them. Furthermore, for the same reason, she escorted Annie home, and stayed so long talking that Joe, before she returned, had to go off about his milking, which annoyed him a good deal. However, he had quite forgotten his vexation next morning as he hurried through his early tasks, with a day's pleasuring before him. He worked at the Kellys, whose land is bounded north and south by the junction lane and the sea, and as he walked about the fresh April fields, he was in view of Howth, dark pansy-purpled against the eastern amber, confronting the sweep of the Dublin mountains, outlined in wild hyacinth-coloured mist, across the dancing silver of the bay. The calves had been fed so expeditiously that Joe found he could spare time to stop at the starred bank under the hedge and pick a bunch of primroses, some of which Nellie's mother would proudly keep in a jam-pot on the window-stool, while Nellie herself might like to wear a few at the circus, brightening up her brown-striped shawl. But when he was compressing a thick sheaf of the cool, soft stalks in one hard hand, he chanced to look up and saw what thrilled him with dismay. Bobbing along over the jagged edge of the wall, a short way down the lane went a glimmering white object, which he at once recognized as Nellie's new hat. He ran aghast to look through the gate, and despite intercepting road curves and obstructive hedges, the hat it unmistakably was 
making for the junction station so nelly intending a serious quarrel had thrown him over and joined the rathbeg party a pleasure hoarded in anticipation for many a month shriveled into dead leaves suddenly like fairy gold as he perceived how certainly this must be the case his first angry impulse was a resort to haskins public at port brendan where he might spend his spoiled holiday taking drinks and making bets in the society of some cronies what hindered him from immediately acting upon it was a compunctious forecast of the concern which would prevail in his family if he absented himself contrary to expectation there's me mother's never easy he reflected unless she's persuadin' herself some of us are kilt on her this made him resolve to postpone port brendan till after breakfast and he turned loathfully homewards as he passed along kelly's yard wall he relieved his feelings by tossing his nosegay over it at the place where he heard the grunting of their pigs who on that occasion fared almost as delicately as marvel's rose-lined fawn it was early still when he reached his cabin one in the walsh's row and he sat down listlessly on a bank to wait for nothing in particular presently mrs walsh senior came by with a twinkling can of water och there you are joe she said nelly's been looking out for you this good while weatherin it's queer lookin out she had said joe when she took off wid herself to old annie cassidy bad manners to her for her interferin what's the lad talkin about at all said mrs walsh standing amazed nelly's within there this instant of time readyin herself up maybe you'll tell me said joe that i didn't see her streelin down the junction lane afore i was leavin kelly's and maybe you'll tell me said nelly's grandmother that she wasn't just now callin to me they were wantin water it's a fine ball she'd had a had let out of her if i was to be hearin her and she up beyond kelly's there she was anyway said joe doggedly wouldn't i know that dad fetched lookin old new cowbean she stuck on her a mile aground you great gomeral said mrs walsh if that's all you might easy enough ha seen the big hat goin down the road but have you the notion it's growin on nelly's head why you omadon you hadn't quit ten minutes last night and nelly was just after gettin back when who should come by but poor mad bell och now the ragged object the creature was with nothin over her misfortunate head but an old wisp as full of holes as a fishing-net so little larry says jokin like look here nelly says he you'd a right to be lettin mad bell have a loan of your grand nappy hat to keep the sun out of her eyes but be like nelly'd took a turn agin the thing wit the way they'd all been makin fun of it will you have it bell says she holdin it out to her and if she did mad bell grabbed it in her two hands it's not often she'll have a word for anybody and no more talk about it but cocked it on and tied it firm under her chin wid the streamers as tasty as you please musha good gracious to see the length she drew the bow out on each side of her bit of a yellow face and the nod she gave her old head when she got it done 
so that's what's gone wid the hat goodness guide us if she wasn't the crazy poor-witted body she is twouldn't be a sin to let her go makin' such a show of herself but sure no one would think to mind anything the likes of the creature might have on her the saints may pity her i bedad them kind of queer constructions do be fit for nothin unless quality and mad people old mrs walsh continued without malice soliloquizing as joe had caught up the can and was hurrying it with prodigal splashes towards his sweetheart's door the circus with its flaring lights and whirl of tinselled prancing marvels was so rapturous an experience to nelly that she had not a regret for her discarded hat which at this time was moving on beneath a soft dappled sky between greening hedges westward along quiet roads and lanes it found shelter for the night under the lay of a tall hayrick near santry thus ending the first stage of mad bell's tramp home to the wide brown bogland of lisconnel chapter twelve a flitting among the latest of the strangers that have visited lisconnel were some who came at a time when the neighbors stood rather in need of distraction for the summer following mrs kilfoyle's death was between one thing and another a drearyish season with us that little old woman had left a great gap and then there were many long spells of gloomy bad weather which seemed to beat people's troubles down upon them as the damp drove the turf wreck back through their smoke holes into the dark rooms where they could scarcely see how dense the blue haze was growing stacy doyne's marriage also had removed something young and pleasant and at times when the thatch dripped without and within neighbors were apt to talk about her in tones of commiseration and say sure her poor mother's lost entirely so that towards autumn the diversion of some new resident's arrival happened opportunely enough it was made possible by the fact that big anne had given up her holding and entered into partnership with the widow mcgurk thus leaving her late abode empty for another tenant who appeared much sooner than any one might have anticipated from the aspect of the cabin except as a fresh topic of conversation however the strangers gave small promise of proving an acquisition to the community lisconnel did not like their appearance by any means and further acquaintance failed to modify unfavorable first impressions these were mainly received in the course of the day after their arrival which took place on a night too black for anything beyond a shadowy counting of heads and a perception that the bulk of the newcomer's household stuff had jogged up on one donkey and must therefore be small a portion of big anne's furniture had remained behind her in the cabin owing to certain arrears of rent her heart was scalded she said with the prices she'd only get for her early chuckens and they the weight of the world if you'd feel them in your hand and poor mad bell that'd mostly bring home a few odd shillings wid her was away since afore last christmas and might never show her face there again the creature 
and the poor dummy gone that was great at the knittin if he got the chance a bit of narration which would look funny enough in anybody's rental mrs quigley who went to the door with the offer of a seed of fire found it shut and a voice inside called as unmannerly as you please no we've got matches whereupon another voice further in the interior quavered thank ye kindly ma'am so she departed little wiser than she had come but daylight showed that the party consisted of an old man and his son and his son's wife and her sister and three small children besides some choking china fowl and a black cat with vividly green eyes this much was apparent on the surface also that the old man was frail bent shrivelled and civil-spoken that the son was a big soft gomeral of a fellow that both women were sadly flaxen-haired with broad flat cheeks and light eyes and that two of the children resembled them while the third a girl a trifle older was a dark-haired disconsolate-looking little thing with her face said mrs bryan not the width of the palm of your hand and the eyes of her sunk in her head as for the fowl there could be no doubt that their unnatural long fluffety legs were fit to make a body's flesh creep and the cat looked as like an old devil as anything you ever witnessed sittin blinkin atop of the turf stack other less self-evident facts came out by degrees more slowly than might have been expected as the strangers were generally close and chary of speech they came from the north where their affairs had not prospered in fact they had been sold up and put out of it as the young man divulged one day to brian kilfoyle they were a somewhat intricate connected family by the name predominantly of patman the sister-in-law was tishy mccrum which seemed simple enough but the two light-haired boys were greens mrs patman having been a widow while the little girl was the child of a wife whom tom patman had already buried for though he looked full young to have embarked upon matrimony at all this was his second venture and it's a queer comether she might have been puttin on him quoth mrs quigley afore he took up with herself that's as ugly as if she was bespoke and half a dozen year older than the young bastoon if she's a minute it is true that at the time when mrs quigley expressed this unflattering opinion she and her neighbours had been exasperated by an impolite speech of mrs patman who had said loudly in their hearing well for certain if i had a notion of the blamed little dog hole he was bringing us into sorrow the sole of a foot that i'd had set inside it and had then proceeded to congratulate herself upon having prudently left all her decent bits of furniture up above at her mother's so that she needn't be bothered with cartin them away out of a place that didn't look to have had ever a air a thing in it worth the trouble of movin not if it stood there until it dropped to pieces with dirt mrs quigley rejoined to judy ryan that if it would be a great pity if any people stead in a place that wasn't good enough for them 
supposin' all the while they were used to anything a thrinine better. Maybe they might in course, and maybe they mightn't. It was wonderful to hear the talk some folks had, and they would every old stick they owned an easy loadin' for Riley's little ass. But Judah Ryan, with a flight of sarcastic fancy, hoped that Mrs. Patman and her family were about goin' on a visit presently to the lady Lieutenant, because it was much as if they'd find any place else where they'd be grandeur according to their high-up notions. Skirmishes such as this, however, were a symptom rather than a cause of the Patman's unpopularity. That sprang from several roots. For one thing, both the women had harsh, scolding voices, and it was even chances that if you passed within earshot of their cabin, you would hear them giving tongue. Their objurgations were as a rule addressed to the young man or the old, the latter of whom soon grew into an object of local compassion as a harmless, decent, poor creature, while his son came in for the frank-eyed looking down upon which is the portion of an able-bodied man, shrew-ridden through sheer supineness and palthroonery. But what Lisconnel often said that it thought badder of was the stepmotherly treatment which seemed to be the lot of the little girl Katie. Of course, the situation was one which, under the circumstances, would have made people believe in such a state of things upon the slenderest evidence. Still, even to unprejudiced eyes, it was clear that Katie's rags were raggeder than those of her small stepbrothers, and that she crept about with the mean of a creature which has conceived reasonable doubts respecting the reception it is likely to meet in society. When the autumn weather began to grow wintry, little Katie Patman perishing about out there in the freezing wind became a spectacle which was viewed with indignant sympathy from dark doorways, whence she received many an invitation to step in and be warming herself. Her hostesses opined that she was fairly starved just for the taste of the fire, and didn't believe she was ever let next or nigh it in her own place. Often, too, the consideration that she had no more flesh on her bones than a marsh chicken led to the bestowal of a steaming potato or a piece of griddle bread. But the result of this was sometimes unsatisfactory to the giver, Katie being apt to dart away with her refreshments, which she might presently be seen sharing among Bobby and Stevie for whom she entertained a strong and apparently unreciprocated regard. I wouldn't go for to be saying anything to set her again them, Mrs. Brian Kilfoyle remarked on some such occasion, but goodness forgive me, I've no liking for them two little brats. I'd mistrust them. Ah, sure, they've no sense, said Biddy Ryan. Where'd they get it? And the biggest of them, I'd suppose, under four-year-old sense said mrs quigley bedad then if sense was all that held them the pair of them is as cute as a couple of young foxes i mind only a day or so after they'd been in it i met the last one on the road and i comin home wid be chance a sugar-stick in me basket so just to be makin friends like i gave it a bit for itself and a bit for the other 
that I seen coming along. Well now, ma'am, if it had took and ate up the both of the bits, I'd a thought ne'er a pin's point of harm. Twould have been natural enough to the size of it. But I give you me word, when it seen it couldn't get the two of them swallowed down afore its brother come by, what did it go do but clap the one of them into a crevice in the wall and cover it under a blackberry leaf, and with that down it squats and begins saying, Creely crawly snail, where's the creely crawly snail I'm after hunting out of its hole, letting on to be looking for something creeping in the grass, and a while after it comes slinking back when it thought nobody was minding to poke the bit out of the wall where I was gathering dandelions under the bank. So while I was fumbling about, missing the right crevice, says I, popping up, thinking to shame it. Maybe the crawling snails after eating it on you, says I. Och, is, I seen it, says the spalpeen, as brazen as brass. Give me another bit instead. There's a scheming young rapscallion for you. They're too like their mother altogether to please me, said Judy Ryan. The corners of their eyes do be as sharp as if they were cut out with a pair of scissors. Not that I mind if there e'er a streak of good nature in them, but I misdoubt they have. The little girl now is as different as day and night. If she takes after her father, she's a right to want the wit powerful, misfortunate little imp, said Mrs. Bryan. For if he isn't a great stupid gomeral and ass, just get me one. Why, if he was worth the dust blowing along the road, he'd prevent of his own child being put upon. Och, they have him frighted, said Mrs. Quigley, with scornful emphasis. They will let him take an atom of notice of her. They're that jealous. Sure, if he gets talking to her outside the house there, one of them will let a ball and send him off to be carrying in turf or water. I've seen it times and again. If he'd take and sling it about their ears some fine day, he'd be doing right, and it might learn them to behave themselves, said Judy. But the old man would disgust you, pursued Mrs. Quigley, with the romancing he has out of him about his son Tom. You'd suppose to listen to him that the Omadon's equal never stepped. He'll dive you with it till you're fairly bothered. Troth, he thinks the young fellow's doing something out of the way if he just walks down the street and expects everybody to stand watching him going along. It's surprising the foolery there does be in people. Oh, murder woman alive, said Audie Rafferty, whose pipe went out at this moment. There's no content in yous at all. It's too cute they are, and too foolish they are, musha, but he be like they're not so much off the common if you'd a trifle more experience of them. There's nothing to match that for even in people. Bedad now, there's some people I know so well that I can scarce tell one from the other. Lisconnel, however, generally declined to fall in with Audie's philosophical views, and the Patmans, whether suspected of excessive cuteness or folly, remained persistently unpopular. There was only one exception to this rule. The widow McGurk had a certain fibre of perversity in her, which sometimes twists itself round unlikely objects, for no apparent reason save that they are left clear by their neighbours, 
and this peculiarity renders her prone upon occasion to undertake the part of devil's advocate when therefore she had once delivered herself of the opinion that the newcomers were very decent folks she did not feel called upon to abandon it because it stood alone as grounds for it she commonly alleged that they were real hard-working and industrious which was obviously true enough since mrs patman and her sister might constantly be seen tilling their little field with an energy far beyond the capacity of its late tenant her neighbours unimpressed rejoinder well and supposin they are itself did not in the least disconcert the witty nor yet their absence of enthusiasm when she stated that it was a sight to behold tishy mccrum diggin over a bit of ground she'd lift as much on her spade as any two strong men as for little katie she'd never seen anything doin anything against the child it might happen by nature to be one of those little crowls of childer that would always look hungry like and pinin the creatures if you were able to keep feedin them with the best as long as the sun was in the sky in short something more than talk was usually needed to put the widow mcgurk out of conceit with any notion she had taken up perhaps the comparative aloofness of her hillside cabin helped to maintain the patmans at their original high level in her estimation at any rate they had not sunk from it by the time that they had been nearly three months in lisconnel and when mrs patman and her sister were on terms of the very glummest civility with all the other women in the place even towards the widow mcgurk they were tolerant rather than expansive she said they had done right enough to not be leaping down people's throats End of section eight